The political system is really giving the masses this illusion of choice. There was a time when I thought that my vote mattered. I'm just not interested in voting who gets to rule over me. How often do we hear, Aaron, the system is broken? I don't believe that to be true. I think that the system works exactly how it is meant to work. We should probably stop voting for these politicians who get up every single day, literally reading off of a card in their hands. And it's yeah. like, who's actually running this country? Because I sure didn't vote for them. The number one thing they were trying to hedge against is human nature. I don't think they could have fathomed what has happened in just a few hundred years. We have tens of thousands of statutes now. That's incredibly dangerous. Chaos is where darkness rules, and that's what they've done so well with the legal system. I want people to understand that you're loading yourself with like environmental toxins, and you don't have any clue about the monetary system, and you're getting the jab, and you're getting reamed by all these other systems like I don't know if that's freedom. The first thing I want to address here is that as far as I'm concerned, the notion of having a political system in a modernized society accomplishes one main thing above all else, and that is the illusion of choice. You have to give a large body of people, especially when this large body of people is ruled over by a very select few, which we talked about in our last episode, kind of the minority ruling the majority. There's things you have to do to not be overthrown and have the people realize. So the political system is really giving the masses this illusion of choice and people get all tangled up in identifying with these words and colors, if you understand what I'm saying. They get tied up with either being red or being blue, either being that direction or that direction, and they start to express and act out their more animalistic, tribal, lower drives, which we all have in us. But the thing is, is that the more we the more we identify ourselves with these systems and the more we volunteer into them, not only are we giving away our rights for privileges, but we're also kind of, it's really easy to get swept up. I don't know if you ever voted, Aaron, but there was a time when I thought that my vote mattered. And what I have come to learn since then is that the political system is not put in place. Well, let me put it this way. It's so common. Like how often do we hear, Aaron, the system is broken? It's a very common thing for people to say. I don't believe that to be true. I think that the system works exactly how it is meant to work. I don't think that it's broken. I think that, yeah, it's actually incredibly put together. I think that it's actually humans that are flawed. And it's subtle difference of perspective that I'm kind of getting at. When we talk about voting and such, people get this sense of, thinking that the political system is there to aggregate everyone's beliefs and opinions and votes. And then whatever's the majority believes, whatever's that will be the fairest decision. And that person will go on to get elected. I think 2020 showed a lot of people that that may not be the case. What do you think, Aaron? <laughs> yeah, you know, this is such an interesting topic, because when you say the system is broken, 
you know, we could say that's true from one context of how our founding fathers intended our system to work. Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that the founding fathers did not intend for us to have a two-party system. Right. I think that they actually would have wanted to prevent that if they thought that was going to happen. And the way that this evolved is actually really interesting to look at as well, because we have now, at least in the States, and this is true, you know, in Canada and Europe and England, Democrats, Republicans, essentially, liberals, conservatives. But in America, we call it Democrat, Republican. Now, what does our preamble say? It says, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Doesn't say, and to the democracy for which it stands. Now, why? Because we don't ever hear our country, our governmental system referred to as a republic, right? Mm. It's always democracy, democracy. Yep. And then you have that viral clip where it's like Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, like all these world leaders, news outlets, news anchors. This is incredibly dangerous to our democracy. It was that tagline that the, yeah. the deep state ushered all around the world. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 And this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. And there's been a slow, gradual process of trying to get the public to forget how our government was established as a republic, not a democracy. There's some room for democratic rule in our governmental system the way our fathers intended it to be, but it was primarily supposed to be a republic, not a democracy. And for those of you who don't know what the difference is, we could boil it down to this. Democracy is essentially mob rule, meaning whatever the consensus opinion is, is what gets passed into law. And a republic is law governed or law ruled, meaning we set these laws and they are unbreakable for all of time, no matter what, in every circumstance, we follow the law, not what people think. So if public opinion changes, too bad, we have these laws. Now you could say there's pros and cons to both of these, but in my estimation, a democracy is far more easily controllable and manipulatable than yeah. a republic is. Because all you got to do is sway public opinion and you can do whatever you want. Whereas to change a law that's been put in place is basically impossible. And so a good example of this would be, let's imagine you go to a mall and you're going to go rob this rich guy you see walking through the mall. You're going to go put him at gunpoint, take his wallet. Now you do this and 10 people in the mall see you do it. And then they go report you immediately to the police, right? And say, hey, that guy just stole his wallet. That's against the law. You can't do that. You go to jail. That's a republic system of government. The law says thou shalt not steal, period, right? Now let's rerun this scenario under democracy. Under a democratic system of government, we can say that I go up to these 10 people in the mall beforehand and I say, hey guys, come here, gather around. There's gonna be a millionaire walking in in about five minutes and I'm gonna hold him at gunpoint and take his wallet from him. And then I'm gonna split the profits evenly amongst the 10 of us. Y'all cool with that? And they say, yeah, sounds great. And then the guy walks in, I put him at gunpoint, steal his wallet, divvy the profits, we all leave happy. Now that's what can happen in a democracy because mob rule. We all agreed it was okay because we're all gonna benefit from it. So we were okay to steal his property. So now we have the system called Democrats and Republicans. And over the last you know 100 plus years, they've slowly changed the language of how they talk about our government and our system from republic to democracy. Again, we're not a democracy for very good reason. One of the reasons is now we see the way our Congress has evolved to be this total monopoly of power where like they can just go into a secret room and write up a giant 6,000 page bill that says whatever they want it to say, Walk in, vote on it, pass it, done. 
The people don't get to review it. The people don't get to decide if it passes or fails. Only those you know, senators and congressmen do. And that's because now it's mob rule, right? So they can pass laws that totally violate common law, constitutional rights, and all this stuff because we've decided collectively that we're okay with it. Now, of course, we haven't. It's just that the balance of power has shifted so much and so slowly before our slowly. eyes that we didn't even see it happen, right? Yeah, so you just brought a few things to mind that I want to clarify. First things first, when I was prefacing that voting does not actually do anything, I want to clarify. I'm not saying, I'm not one of those people that thinks that literally all of it is smoke and mirrors, like there is no voting. Here's what I'm kind of insinuating. And I don't know, you know, what year this happened that'd be an interesting thing to see and kind of study what has changed since then but somewhere along the line politics and lobbying another way of saying this is politics and commercial business became synergistic and nowadays the political system that we have so like for example when aaron's talking about how the congress and senate work the political system that we have a senator's job and a congressman's job is far more about marketing branding and lobbying than it is anything else and you'll even hear congressmen talk about this it's not like anything controversial the majority of if there's 365 days in a year i've heard some of them estimate 200 days of the year they're traveling networking doing meetings, lobbying, etc. Most of their job is trying to aggregate funds to pass their agendas. And guess what? If you're not the one donating funds, you don't have a say in that agenda and it's very likely not going to benefit you. And if you do, it's the inverse of that. So when I say, you know, the whole voting system is somewhat of a sham, if you will, I'm not necessarily insinuating that, you know, like every vote just goes in the trash or something and nothing ever happens. I don't think it's necessarily that deep. I do think that something occurs. But what I know is that whoever has the most money to put into the campaign wins. Money wins. That is the issue we now have, and that's why when Aaron's talking about a democracy, that's why this stuff has gotten more and more dangerous. Because if we can now just use money to get who we want into the position we want them in, and now because we gave them so much money, we have dirt on them, now we can just control them kind of Machiavellian style because we have leverage over them. And a lot of politicians make this mistake where they'll accept the donations because they want to win so bad and they don't realize what they sold, aka their soul, in order to have that money backing them that wasn't theirs. And then once they get into office, then it becomes a thing of, you know, more money gets pumped into further or speed along or silence certain bills. And then money gets passed along to push through certain bills. And, you know, a really easy example of this, like modern day is for those of you who keep up with crypto, the whole Sam Bankman Freed thing with FTX and all of that. So I don't know if you've seen this, Aaron, but I was watching the Patrick Bet David podcast the other day. I don't know if you know who that is, but yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's really good. Just free speech, right? He'll have on anyone from any side and have an actual conversation. Imagine that. So I really value the discourse. And they were bringing up some information about, obviously, we know SBF, the guy behind the FTX issue. And if you don't know what that is, all you need to do is type in FTX to Google. I'm not going to waste my time getting into that. It's like second biggest financial fraud since Bernie Madoff. So you've probably heard of it. Yeah. They were getting into how billions of dollars in everyday mom and pop retail investors like you and me 
trusted FTX, which was this crypto brokerage, with their money. And so they put their money into FTX. FTX also owned a sub brokerage, just think of it that way, called Alameda. When you would put your money into FTX, FTX would send that money to Alameda, which was already completely fraudulent and illegal. It'd be like if you bank with Chase, you put your money into Chase and they're over here sending it over to Bank of America and you're like, what? That was not in the contract. Like, that's totally fraudulent. I want my money back. And then they're like, oh, sorry, it's not there. <laughs> it's not on our balance sheet anymore. So, okay, so they would send it over Alameda. Both of them were reporting it on their balance sheets, but I won't get into that fraud. So your money's not actually there. So if you try to get it back, you can't. Alameda then is making massive donations to both sides of the aisle, if you will, the left and the right. But they were specifically making notably higher donations to the Democratic Party. And somehow Patrick's team dug up that they found the actual financial transactions, right? Like the receipt, if you will, of the transfers. And the line of the transfer's name or whatever was referred to as smear Trump or end Trump or it was something <laughs> smear like that. Trump LLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just funny, like the chain of events, like think about this, Aaron, you sign up with a new brokerage, you're all excited to invest, right? Like let's say Schwab or E-Trade or TD Ameritrade, like just for stocks and you put in $10,000. And then as soon as you do that, that $10,000 gets sent to a completely unrelated brokerage and that gets used as a political party donation as part of their campaign. None of this on the record, none of this legal like it's literally that's supposed to be on their balance sheet like that's their only like real asset if you will all they're supposed to do is hold money but they're out here donating out customers money <laughs> to political parties so that they can continue the fraud that they're doing so you guys have to realize how this works this is what happens when i know we're going to get into the legal system here in a second but the legal system is built on corporations that like the whole purpose of a corporation is to remove liability from yourself as a man or a woman right so this is why police for example tend to not get in trouble for literally murdering someone in cold blood or beating someone unlawfully, someone will try to sue that police officer. And because they're suing the police officer, not the man or woman who was wearing the police uniform, it's basically like, oh, sorry, you can't sue me. I'm just a corporation. Mm -hmm. So I can just come up to you, infringe on all your rights. And then when you say, hey, you can't do that, I say, hey, don't look at me. I'm just a corporation. So they can't come after the individual. It just goes up to who they're representing, who they're an agent of. Right. Because yeah. if you try to sue a corporate entity like a police officer, a police officer is basically invulnerable because they don't exist. They're not real. And you're under Admiralty Maritime Law when you're going after them. And it's like they didn't break any contracts. They have every right to trample over your rights according yeah. to their the contract you don't know you're in. But if you sue the actual man, you know, Joe Johnson, who was acting as a police officer on May the 9th, 2022, who violated my rights under these, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then now you've got a case, right? Because now you're actually filing a claim against a living flesh and blood man who violated your rights. So the corporation is a means to remove liability from someone who's trying to do dirty business most of the time. Yeah, This is what politics does. This is what the military industrial complex does. They're all corporations so that they can have this kind of shield of defense and so we kind of forget this, right, Jeremy, that like we're dealing with fictional non-living entities, dead entities, as you say. And it's like, at the end of the day, you're giving your money to someone else and you're trusting another person with your money. And so that can go wrong in a lot of ways. 
And we think, oh, well, it's a corporation, so they have to do the right thing and they have to be noble and just. No, they do not. And guess what? No, they aren't. They're taking your money. They're taking all of our money every day and doing all kinds of stuff in the back alley that we're not aware of. You know, politicians, lobbying, big pharma. It's all dirty money that they're using that we give them because we trust our money into their hands. And so once we see, like we saw with FTX and we see every day in a number of ways, wow, look at all this corruption. Look at all these scandals. We should probably stop supporting these corporations. We should probably stop voting for these politicians. And for me, that's you know why I decided to stop voting years and years ago. I'm just not interested in voting who gets to rule over me, right? Mm-hmm. I know that I am the highest law of the land as a living flesh and blood man under natural law, under God's law. So I don't vote for who rules over me. I may have a choice in who my public servants are. But that's not going to come when the system is so corrupt like this that, like you said, it's all about who gets the most lobbying money. And then whoever is the politician isn't even isn't even making the decisions themselves. Right. We watched Joe Biden up there reading a script. You know, Obama was a way better teleprompt reader than Joe Biden is. Much more convincing. How did we get so far removed from reality and authenticity that we will stomach our politicians who get up every single day on these news press briefings, whether it's in the House, the Senate, the executive office, and they're on TV. And I mean, dude, they're literally reading off of a card in their hands. Mm -hmm. And we've just gotten so used to it. We have decided to send 51 tanks to Ukraine for blah, blah, blah reasons. He's probably hasn't even read the card until this moment. And he, <laughs> His, he and yeah. it's like, who's actually running this country? If, a, if someone I elected as my president cannot just get up authentically on a stage and just talk to us, about the actual decisions that he's making or she's making. Like you see Elon Musk from Tesla. He doesn't need to read a script about what decisions he's making for Tesla. He runs the freaking company. He can talk to you all day off the cuff about what decisions he's making and why. Why can't our presidents, why can't our politicians do that? That should be a problem for us, right? This is so fake and inauthentic. I want to know who's writing these scripts and what team of people are making these decisions because I sure didn't vote for them. Yeah, you're raising some extremely good questions that I'd love to continue on. So who's writing these scripts are the best PR, psychology, human behavior propagandists, if you will. Specialists. In the world. Yeah. So, you know, the type that like in in past episodes, I was bringing up how um, Rockefeller brought on um propaganda guy from hitler's campaigns right oh so that was in the past though but they kind of pass around the best campaign influencers if you will in the world so like for example so let's say aaron you decide you want to run for president 2024 right obviously one of the first things you're going to need is a boatload of money behind you so you're going to have to sell your soul So that's going to provide the machine for you, right? It's going to be the gasoline to pour on the fire. So whether you're going to hit like social media marketing, you're going to start going to every city, you're going to need to get on television, you're going to need to get on podcasts, radio shows, like that's what the money's for, right? And then at the same time, now the most important thing now that you've solved the attention problem is your content. It's just like if you're a business. You have to solve the attention problem and then you have to solve for the content. Is your content good enough? Because if it's not good enough at scale, you can put a message out there for the world to see. They're still not going to want it. Right. And you're going to get roasted. So now you have to solve the content problem. And that's where people hire the best in the world at drafting messages 
right? The same kind that our government uses to get a nation to back a war or to back ending a war or to back a certain movement or to get on board with a certain societal narrative. These things don't change too much, right? When you understand the first principles of kind of moving people to action and manipulating people based on their emotions and understanding their primal unconscious drives and stuff like that. So that's definitely interesting to understand that, you know, definitely it is not them writing that. And personally, I think Joe Biden should do a lot more preparation before he stands up there reading because <laughs> I send bloopers to my group all the time. And when I say bloopers, I'm not searching on the internet for Joe Biden bloopers. I'll just be scrolling Twitter. I'll be like, oh, let's hear what he said today. And there will be like five to seven mess ups in it that are like catastrophic every time I watch it because it's like obviously not him. And he's stumbling because it's like, there's such a disconnect, right? It's like, who wrote this? It's not you. You're not even really here. This is why I didn't vote. So I have no dog in this fight, but I completely understand why Trump won in 2016 because people are tired of seeing fake politicians yeah. get up and read off of a script and take all this lobbying money from big companies, organizations, big pharma who do insidious things. And then you got this guy who never, ever reads off a teleprompter, always talking off the cuff, speaking his original thoughts from his own mind yeah. and didn't take any lobbying money. And people are like, I choose that guy Yep. because the public is so tired of the inauthenticity, this, this sort of uniparty we have where whether you get someone on the left or the right, blue or red, it's the same people in the back room running the show and telling them what to do. And this is something that has to be a collective awakening. Because it's like we're all watching a puppet show that's completely fake. Half the audience still thinks it's real and is getting emotionally pulled into the show. The other half of the audience is like, guys, wake up. It's all fake. They're fooling you. And they're like, shut up. I'm trying to watch the show, you racist. <laughs> and we're in this kind of interesting, kind of funny situation. That's the best right? example. <laughs> I'm trying to watch the show, you racist. You transphobic racist. <laughs> I mean, that's actually our reality at this moment. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's great. Okay. So you proposed one other notion that I want to kind of wrap us up here as we segue out of the politics system. And you basically proposed this question of like, how do they get away with this? Or like, it was something along those lines. And I want to kind of clarify if it isn't, I don't want to assume that this is obvious in reading between the lines. Out of all of these systems, there is only one system at the top of all of these, and it is the political system. And let me explain why. It is exactly what Aaron was explaining of this notion of we once had a republic. They're really, really trying to transition us to a democracy and convince people that that is what it is. The political system is the only system that we've all given our consent to, to govern every other system in life. So like, let's just look at certain examples. We started off episode one talking about food, air, water, shelter, and energy. Aaron, who has the power to pass rent control bills tomorrow if they wanted? Government. Who has the power to audit, restructure, completely dissolve, or completely beef up the Food and Drug Administration tomorrow? Whatever politician you voted for. Precisely. Who has the power to sign a bill that influences what the media is and isn't allowed to put out or how they are or aren't allowed to market, let's say, on social media. Really any of the three political branches. Let's do another one in the health system, 2020. Who has the power to think they can mandate something and force it into your body? 
a corporation. <laughs> <laughs> well, what kind of corporation? The United States. There you go. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that that one didn't confuse anyone. <laughs> <laughs> one more example. Who has the power to write the bills that dictate what sends you to prison or what doesn't? Yeah, Congress. So guys, if you remember in the very beginning of the first episode, I said these aren't in any particular order because it would be too difficult. And you know, you could argue a lot of different structures if you had to order this into a hierarchy. But it does go without saying that the political system sits at the top. Now, if we were more in touch with our founding fathers' desires and the way that this country was supposed to be governed and, you know, the checks and balances and separation of powers and everything like that, it being a republic, maybe that wouldn't be the case, right? We would let free markets decide and everything like that. But in 2023, when we're filming this, that is not the case and it has not been the case for a long time. So it's not that... You know, I don't want this to be the reality, but that doesn't really matter. We're just sharing, for the most part, objective facts and then also some of our perspectives surrounding those facts. One thing we could say, Jeremy, to wrap this up well is that our founding fathers, if you read our founding documents, Constitution and Articles of Confederation, they explicitly gave the government 19, I believe it's 19 powers, correct me if I'm wrong. And they said, and most importantly, no more than this. 19 abilities that government has to rule and no more than that. And now today with the way that our Congress has sort of hijacked government, there's like something like over 30,000 powers the government has taken into its own hands. Like Jeremy went into now it can regulate our energy, our food, our water, our medical abilities, our consent in certain areas. The government was never given those powers by the founding fathers. And they actually said, and they shouldn't have any more power than this. So this is how things gradually shift over time. And now the tail wags the dog, right? So we've got to get to this point of realizing, okay, let's return back to where we started. Because hey, it can't get any worse than this, right? If we just go back to where we started to start over, surely it would at least be orders of magnitude better and more organized and more principled than where we are now. So to me, it's like we risk nothing by just back engineering everything back to where we started and starting over. What was the original intention of government of the people, the status of the people. Let's begin there, right? And that's what you and I have gotten into many conversations about with common law and, and the legal system as yeah. we transition into that conversation. It's really just saying, let's get back to the basics. This is still the underlying law system that we operate under, but we've sort of been fooled over the last you know, century or two through the education system and stuff that we're not taught what real law even is. And we're only taught this sort of fraudulent law system that we call the legal system. And that's where we talked about last episode that we think we're playing checkers as we go out into the world and as we interact with the world and corporations. It's like, we think we're playing checkers and actually they're playing chess. Yeah. And not only do we not know they're playing chess, we don't even know how to play chess. Mm -hmm. Big trouble. The biggest difference here in kind of what's going on is the way that our country was structured when they set up the Declaration, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, these documents were intended to, I mean, you can just tell by how timeless they are, right? And how applicable they are today. It's almost like a subversion of like the way that the Bible ages so well. It's mm -hmm. still applicable thousands of years later. They really did their due diligence here. And in my opinion, from studying this, 
all of these documents and kind of, you know, our origins. The number one thing they were trying to hedge risk against is human nature, humans, blind spots, flaws, and shadow tendencies. They knew that because I'm sure they were familiar with that in themselves. They'd observed it many, many times over, studied history, et cetera. And it's like, all right, how can we create sets of principles that can keep us out of our own way? That was the objective. And as soon as we pivoted out of being able to even agree on the basic premise that these are all we're going to follow, right? Like declaration, amendments, et cetera. Now, as soon as that kind of switch happened, and once again, I don't know the exact time that it happened. It was these things tend to occur gradually, but it was almost just like, you know, the gates were kicked open and it's been incredibly difficult to even fathom getting the genie back into the bottle now because we have tens of thousands of statutes now. And a statute is this man-made ordinance that, you know, we talked about. I don't know if it was in part one or part two, but I know we prefaced this. It's like whatever is popular at the time, whatever's believed at the time, whatever's trendy at the time, well, policymakers are going to write that into the permanent infrastructure of what it means to be an American as far as the law. And that's incredibly dangerous. It's like most of our politicians are, we could just say, to put it nicely, very clouded. And they're making these important, important decisions that are written into law now and have dire consequences for many. And yeah, remember, Aaron, in the beginning when I was talking about centralization and complexity? Right. It's this notion of complexity on this thread that I see as the real issue here, where being able to stick to a set of principles that are simple is like massively overlooked. There's a reason there's 11 laws of the universe, 10 commandments, 19 ordinances that were laid out. Like there's a reason, guys, or like the Constitution, there's not that many amendments. There's a reason for this. They were hedging against complexity because I can guarantee you from studying this all in depth, you can see it. You can reverse engineer and derive from how they went about things that they understood that if they created complexity, that would open the door for manipulation and corruption. So the idea is make it so simple, make it so basic, make it so timeless that it can't possibly be misinterpreted in 200 years when new words and slang and cultural advancements are created. And they did an amazing job of that. But then the world got way more complex. I don't think they could have fathomed, Aaron, what has happened in just a few hundred years. Yeah, there's the passage in uh, Old Testament about Babylon. And God says, confuse the language and you'll scatter the people. Yeah. And that's one of the things they did was they confused the language to scatter the people into different lands. That's essentially what the legal system is and what it has done, right? Mm. And the point Jeremy's making here is so important that truth is simple. Yep. Truth is self-evident. And that's why our founding fathers put in the Declaration of Independence, which I think is the most powerful document that they created. We hold these truths to be self-evident yes. that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, as we said in episode one, with certain inalienable rights. They said that because they probably knew the future, we can't predict what the future will look like. We can't even know what problems our country will have in 200 years. 
But we do know that if we hold them to the self-evident facts of truth that are inherent to their being, all men are created equal, endowed from their creator, then they can't go too wrong. They can't stray too far from truth. And that's because chaos is where darkness rules. Harmony and order is where truth rules, where light rules. When you bring something into the light, you understand it, you know it, you can see it. Nothing can be hidden. So chaos and complexity is one of the strategies of the matrix, right? To confuse us and scatter us. And that's what they've done so well with the legal system. And specifically, the negative path, the, the dark side, whatever you want to call it, the negative polarity, as I like to say, really just has two basic control weapons to control the population with, and it's language and money. And they've done a masterful job at taking command of those two things. We've all heard the phrase, where you place your attention is where you place your energy. So there you go, right? They want your energy, which comes through your attention. And uh, this is why we talked about when we have talked about, you know, how money is actually valued based on human labor. Mm -hmm. We're the value. We're the creditors. We're the real currency here because our energy makes everything happen. So they, your energy, your attention is the most precious commodity on planet Earth. And that's how they get your money is by getting your attention. So this is why we see these huge campaigns, censorship and all this stuff, banning, deplatforming. They're trying to tell you where you can or can't place your attention. And isn't it funny how those places always end up serving the big corporations and institutions, right? So we can see it's a war for your attention. And this is why all wealth really comes from within. I know this is what Jeremy teaches. They could steal your fiat currencies. They could steal your assets. They could steal your home. They could steal anything physically from you, anything external, but they can't steal your self-awareness, your self-love, your self-empowerment. They can't ever steal your knowledge. They can't ever steal the skills and abilities you have. So when we work on ourselves, we become internally wealthy, which has to and must eventually become external wealth at some point, usually very quickly. Because these are things that can't be stolen. They can't steal your attention. They can only trick you into giving it to them in certain ways. How do they do that? These nine systems, right? These nine systems we've been over, specifically the three today, are the most powerful ways that the matrix steals your attention. And you take your attention back by becoming more self-aware about where you're placing it, right? And I think, Jeremy, probably the easiest thing we could do is since we know that dividing the people is the easiest way to conquer the people, and this is the way they do everything, pay attention to where you're placing your energy, your attention, on anything negative. The negativity is the most insidious way that they grab your attention because negativity is like a magnet, right? It's like it absorbs you into it because it's so powerful. Yeah. And you can get sucked into something negative so quick. And then, of course, they can tell you what to do from there and, and who to hate and who's the enemy. So it's like, look, there's some truth to the good vibes only concept of that. I only want to give my energy. I only want to invest. Let's put it that way. I want to invest in good vibes and positive things because I know that my investments eventually have to bear fruit at some point. And just like if I'm always making bad investments in the stock market, I'm going to lose a lot of money. If I'm always making negative investments of attention, I'm going to have a really negative state of mind. So place your attention as much as possible, as much as you're aware on positive, beneficial things, things that are good and virtuous and create happiness and unity in the world, love, forgiveness, positive messages, right? 
When you do that, they can't divide you from your brother and sister. They can't divide you from another if you're not dwelling on negative things. That's why literally the studies have shown this, right? 90% at least of all, whether it's newspapers, website articles, or mainstream media, 90% of all news is negative news. Now, the question is, do you think that these news outlets would produce so much negative negativity if it wasn't being consumed? I bet they wouldn't. I bet you if they put out a negative news article and it gets two clicks and nobody wants to read it, and then they put out a positive and it gets a million clicks, that news outlet just wants to make money, right? They're just going to put out the news that gets clicks. And so the reason they do, we can say, you evil, you know, mainstream media outlets, yep. you, you post mm -hmm. 90% evil news. Well, it's that's because you consume it. <laughs> exactly. You're co-creating that reality with them through your attention. You know, we're all here right now listening to this podcast because consciousness on this planet is evolving and we feel that something is gravely wrong with the way our planet is right now. The systems that run our planet, it doesn't resonate anymore. And for a long time, it did resonate, right? So like you said, we're still using all of these hundred plus year old Rockefeller designed systems. And now there's such a pushback on these systems because our consciousness has evolved, right? And we need to create yes. new systems that reflect our level of consciousness. Exactly. Because it's just not a match anymore. So we're going to be doing that in this next hundred years where people like you and I and anyone watching have the ability to generate wealth and create new systems that benefit people. This is like the main point that the law of one that I teach from a lot really tries to deliver home is that. If you want to evolve into the higher densities of consciousness and, and really graduate to a, a greater level after this lifetime, you have to learn to be of service while you're here. That's what Ross says over and over again. Being of service to others is the way to polarize, to raise your consciousness so that you can go to the fourth density in the next lifetime. And that means that we serve others. All the service we do is a service to ourselves and to others. Whereas the systems we are operating under now are service to self-based, meaning they were created by someone or a group of people who wanted to serve themselves at the cost of everyone else, yeah. right? That's what needs to start shifting. So how does that shift? To me, it's exactly what you're saying, Jeremy, is number one, we got to get rid of this notion that money is evil, inherently not spiritual, only evil people want money. We're going to keep seeing our planet like this until we change that mindset. Money's not evil, and it's not only for people who want power over others. Absolutely not. There's a verse in the Bible somewhere that says, what the enemy intends for evil, the Lord will use for good. Yep. So it's like, we just have to realize that money is an absolutely neutral device. And what way can we be of more service to the world than using money for good and for service and to benefit and to evolve humanity forward if each one of us begins to act today on our highest excitement our highest inspiration what do you feel called by in your heart what do you feel a calling to do in this life just do that just pursue that breadcrumb trail right of your highest excitement and i promise you as you do it the universe will lay down the next step in front of you like rolling out a red carpet if you follow what you're what excites you and inspires you to contribute to humanity. The universe is designed for this purpose, right? The law of the universe is oneness. So when you're operating from oneness, you are joining yourself with the inherent natural laws of the universe, which say that giving and receiving are one. Everything you put out has to come back to you. So let's maybe even not worry about how do I make money? 
and more so, how do I create value for humanity? And I promise you, if you start creating value for humanity, you're going to have all the money you need to keep creating more value. And to me, Jeremy, that's how we build the new earth. That's how we build an enlightened civilization as we stop outsourcing everything to giant corporations. They just do our banking for us, do our schooling for us, do our government for us, do our everything for us. And we say, now we're going to do it. We're going to create our own systems that we can all use together and systems that actually benefit everybody and not just the top of the pyramid. And then all of a sudden we can start moving into a world that reflects our current level of consciousness. So it has to start with you and I becoming empowered and saying, I'm going to do what I feel called to do. Because if there's an excitement, an inspiration, a passion in me to do anything, I know that's from the universe. All passion, all purpose, all calling comes from the universe. If I feel it, I just have to say yes to it. And if I'm faithful to say yes to what's inside of me, the universe will do the rest for me. And anyone who's really successful, especially in the conscious space, I know I can say this. I know Jeremy would say this is like, I didn't really plan this out so much. I just kind of followed my excitement. And the next step was always there for me to take, right? Yeah, I, I was recently telling some of my students that I've come to learn that when you're a, I need a better word for this, but I'll use the phrase spiritual entrepreneur, but I need to clarify what I mean by that. An entrepreneur who is just using business as a vehicle to serve the creator, that you never really know what you're doing because you're not doing it. So he was asking a question, you know, like someone newer comes into the group, they're seeing like, wow, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in here kind of being inspired to go that direction, but there's fear there. And he was asking like for advice on the feeling of, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I just kind of came back to him and let him know like plot twist. I don't know what I'm doing because <laughs> it's not, it's like that whole eye concept, right? It's like, well, you're not really the one doing it. And that's really the point that Aaron's getting at is if you can look at this all as a way to serve divinity, because ultimately that's the only reason we're even caring to have a conversation about improving the planet, right? Then business can just be a vehicle or a conduit through which you serve the creator. And it, it isn't really about you. It's not really about you. And that's why each of us are given particular, like Aaron said, it's just kind of following. Well, usually the cliche term is follow your bliss, but it's it's very much so like that. And that's different for everyone. And so I love that you brought it back to value rather than money because, yeah, the money's the effect, right? And the cause yeah. is desiring to serve. And yeah. that's been your path. That's been my path. And yeah, it's not really about the money at all. But what ends up happening is you find that you develop so many invaluable skills and also character traits that are priceless that would allow you to do it all over again much faster. If it were taken away from you, those are actually the timeless assets that we were talking about. But then you also develop influence, which I believe to be far more effective and appealing and valuable than money. Because if you have influence, you can create You'll always money. have money. Yeah, easy. You create money. But if you have like money, you can't just create influence. 